Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. I guess I think we're I think we're missing some folks, but we're about seven minutes over time, so we should probably get this ball rolling. Missing folks. Yes, yes. Well, I miss lots of people. Who else is supposed to be here? Um, Frank Powers. Uh, oh, Frank. Okay, yeah. So anyway, um, Frank Powers. Imagine him being late. <laughs> it's, that's just. I'm imagining it right now. That's just too askew. <laughs> It'll be part of his performance thing to come in late. Yeah. So uh, why don't we get it rolling? Um, the uh, so the topic of this panel is essentially how this convention in particular uh, has become kind of a center for various artists to meet, and they start doing stuff together. And uh, so that's kind of the that's the discussion point. So um, uh, you know, particularly th- those of us who are here right now have all in one way, shape, or form ended up doing stuff with others here. And uh, um, so I guess uh, maybe the best way to start off is by starting off That's and liability talking about how some of those things might have developed. Um, Should we introduce ourselves? Yeah, well, or we could introduce ourselves. That would work. Too. Well, are you, are you supposed to be? I'm supposed to be here. I thought this was a two o'clock, not one o'clock. <laughs> ah, okay. thought you were supposed to be here, but I couldn't remember. So now you're an hour early. Okay. An hour early. Sorry, so, uh, yeah, so let me, yes, let's introduce ourselves. Get out the record for As you can tell, it's been a while since I've, been, I've done anything like this. So, I am uh, Eric Schumacher, actor, filmmaker, producer, uh, multi entertainment business guy uh, by necessity, um, and uh, uh, best known probably for uh, work on uh, westerns. Uh, I've played both Doc Holiday and Wyatt Earp in uh, nationally publicized productions. Um, and uh, do lots of other stuff, which will become evident shortly. And I'm David Lee Summers, and until Will walked in, I could legitimately say I've worked with everyone on this panel in some way or another. Give it time. time. We'll give it time. I'm sure it'll happen. And uh, currently the most, most, uh, the next book I have coming out is the third of my Scarlet Order Vampire series, which has covers by... Gorgeous covers, I might add. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, no, keep going. <laughs> That's and exactly what this panel is about. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and I think we, we've My certainly, Eric and I have done some, some exciting work together, and I think we've got some stuff coming out, which I don't know how much we want to say about on this panel we'll yet. Maybe we'll a little bit, but we'll talk about that. So, Chaz? All right, so I'm Chaz Kemp. Uh, I am currently your artist guest of honor for this year. Um, well, yeah, it's uh, the the actual artist guest of honor could not make it this year, and, and we are good friends. And then they asked me to step in at the last minute, so I did. Um, so I feel bad that he was not able to make it this year, but he really wanted to be. So Perry says hello to everyone. Um, but I've done probably close to 300 uh, book covers and magazine covers. Uh, I am freelance. I've had my own business for about 15 years, but I've been a professional artist for 25. Before that, I was a professional musician uh, for about 10 years. Uh, my band, Pandora Celtica, toured the country. Uh, we had seven albums, uh, won lots of competitions and things like that. And before that, I was an actor for 20 years. So I've been in a couple of movies. Uh, I have uh, done uh, some a little bit of television. Uh, I've been a director, I've done a lot of street theater, uh, trained in improv, Shakespeare, etc. Um, and so, yeah, so that kind of leaves me open to be able to work with a wide variety of people in the creative fields. So, uh, 
Wow, what an intro. Really? I did that you're a musician as well. That's yeah. So well. Well, we'll, we'll get we don't that. talk about that. Uh, I, yes, I, I was a musician for the CIA and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, you played those songs? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say they don't tip well. <laughs> Special function. Well, yeah. I, I was a musician for the punk rock and they don't tip at all. <laughs> so, ladies and gents, I'm Jeff Notkin. I am the science guest of honor this year. I am a television host. Thank you so much. I'm a science and art nut. I, I've done a lot of TV, I've done a lot of film. I hosted Meteorite Men for three years, three seasons for Science Channel Discovery. STEM Journals for two years. I've produced a bunch of films, documentaries, feature films, including I was one of the four producers for Love Song of William H. Shaw, which will be having its Tuscom debut tonight at 7.30 right here. We very much hope you can join us because most of the people in the film are from Tuscom. Uh, including Chaz and David both. <laughs> um, fact, will, I'm sorry, everybody on this table is in that film. <laughs> in fact, that is my crossover with Will because yes. I'm in the film. Right. And so I play the creepy old white dude. And, uh, very okay. well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm also a musician, I'm a science writer, a sometime director, sometime actor, entrepreneur, also like Chaz. I can't really think of something else, but I I, I'm a Sorry? Former president of... Former president of the National Space Society. I'm a lifelong... Thank you, my agent, Jessica Stone. <laughs> also associate producer on Science Film. <laughs> I'm a big non-profit science education supporter. I, I do a lot of non-profit work. And as, uh, as some of you know, I also have a, a rock and fossil venture. And I mentioned this last night, but I, I made these cards specially for Tuscon. And I'm an art director, graphic artist, and... I love the visual language of, of type and image. So I, I made 150 of these as, as a collectible, and they're free. If you, and I'm signing and numbering them just for fun. So if you want one, please just come and get one. And like Chaz, I, I, I don't know, I'm interested in too many things. And so I've, I have many opportunities to collaborate with wonderful people, such as the assembled at this table. But now on to you, sir. Unlike everybody else, I'm not really much of a big deal. Uh, my name is William Hur, William R. Hur. Uh, I got really, really, really mad at Ann Coulter one day, <laughs> and I wrote a book correcting everything she had gotten wrong about uh, Gustave Le Bon, if you're familiar with who Gustave Le Bon is. If you're not familiar, don't worry about it. Most people haven't heard of him unless they're Nazis or fascists or <laughs> Madison Avenue. Okay, he is the father of uh, group dynamics, of uh, group psychology, sociology. Um, but she got it all wrong. So I wrote a book and I published it and gave it zero publicity and it became an international bestseller. <laughs> okay, and one day I got a uh, review on that book and uh, it, I could tell from the review that the person who left the review had read the first chapter and the last chapter, then closed the book and said, whoa. <laughs> okay. So I realized that I had written it a little bit too highbrow hand. So I went into writing other books that used the same themes in, uh, the, uh, in the collective, which was my first book. And... Uh, the first, well, that was the beginning of the Broken Throne series, and uh, that was a finalist for Book of the Year. And then I wrote uh, Captivity of Choice, and that sold all of 200 copies. And, uh, I am a write, I'm an author, screenwriter, playwright, uh, poet, all-around adventurer. My wife calls me an adrenaline chunky, and I have worked with everybody on this panel, yes, and uh, Chaz did the uh, artwork for It's Just a Train, and it was fantastic. Oh, thank you. And uh, Eric optioned one of my screenplays, and uh, uh, I want to read that. What, that screenplay? I want to read that screenplay. Can I read that? Yeah. He's so, he's so, he's so conscious I have, of your yeah. privacy. Here's, and a, here's a, I, I, if I may, I want to rip off of that, because the way that screenplay came about was we were here at Tuscon doing a late-night panel with Jeff Notkin and Will Hurd. And we were, oh, right. and, and we were all drunk as skunks. Okay. Oh, that was that <laughs> robot thing, wasn't it? Was it? Robot, it was robot a robot sex, sex panel? panel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the infamous. Crazy panel 
and 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 this conversation breaks out, and Will, you know, in the middle of what was kind of a funny, weird, you know, laugh out loud type. I have to derail. Will gets serious. Will gets really serious, and he asks a really heavy question, and we start talking about it on the panel, and he said, he says, if I wrote a screenplay about that, would you want it? And I said, yes. A month later, there's a screenplay. In my <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is great. I want it. Okay. Now <laughs> let, let, let's actually be fair. Let's actually be fair. I wrote that screenplay, the first act of that screenplay, while I was writing 5.30 Return, mm. which Eric is producing. Um, and, um, and I finished the first act, and I stopped, and I looked at it, and I said, you know what, this really kind of works, but you know what, Eric was just being nice. Okay, he doesn't really want to see you know this screenplay off of me. You know, I'll just and uh, next year I come to Tuscon. Eric looks at me. He's standing next to this gentleman. Okay, I have no idea who the person standing next to him is. Right, I'm standing next to this guy, and uh, you know, kind of crazy hair, a little bit shorter than Eric. And uh, Eric says, "Where's that screenplay?" And I said, "I thought you were just being nice." I mean, he says, "No, I really want to see the screenplay." And I said. Okay, I'll have it to you in two weeks. And this guy standing beside Eric says, you think you could write a screenplay in two weeks? And, uh, and I said, yeah, it's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard, you, you know, because I'm used to filling in all the action. I don't have to do that. I just have to write the dialogue, and that's how I write. I write out all the dialogue first, and I fill in the action in between where it fits right. And he's like, okay, I want to see this too, right? And then I find out later that that was the media guest of honor, uh, Bill Malone. So, <laughs> so no, I'm on the spot. But two weeks later, off to Eric, I shot, uh, I, I, I shot Sentience, and uh, if it's okay to mention it. Yeah, I shot Sentience, and uh, the rest was just history. Eric just said, you know, this is smart, and it's dramatic, and it's suspenseful, and I, uh, I absolutely want it, and that's that. And then I wrote uh, Two Meters, and uh, Eric had a lot of input on that, and uh, so we still haven't figured out what the hell we're going to do with that, but you're more than welcome to look at it. Thanks. Yeah, it's cheerleader. Yeah, I've been hearing about this for a while. Cheerleader versus well, the and apocalypse. And since I was on the panel wearing a stupid kind of Cyberman hat, hat, helmet, when this idea came up. Sarah Marisola was sitting yes. with one boot hanging yes, out. Yes, I remember it well. I feel that I was there at the birth of this project, uh, this illegitimate uh, artificial intelligence thing that's gone into the world, and I wish to read it. Okay. Thank you. I'd be more than happy to shoot any scripts you like. Uh, you would like to read your way. I'm always glad to do it. And, however, uh, with the caveat that you're not allowed to say anything that's about them, you can only rip them to shreds. It's unusual, but I'm all good with it. I live in New England. We don't respond to compliments. Uh, <laughs> Unlike me, who you can lavish you know, firm praise on. <laughs> That's because, David, David, you are so amazingly wonderful. There's nothing bad anybody can say about you. That's why Will's my best friend. <laughs> so speaking of you, if I may, so I want to tell everybody something really interesting you don't, well, you kind of know. So uh, my, my wonderful mom, who's 92, is in a nursing home right now. It's been a really rough time. That's my dad over there, by the way. He taught me to be an actor from the time I was six years old. I'm grateful for it every day. Anyway, short story. So my mom is in a nursing home right now, and she's, you know, it's really tough to be a parent. She really, I have been working on her trying to nerd her for years. I'm trying to get her into nerdy stuff. And uh, so she's finally bored out of her skull. She needs something to do. I hand her two sci-fi books, one written by Tim Zahn and one written by David Summers. She's a huge fan of Mr. Summers now mm -hmm. and needs the second in the Space Pirate series. I need to get it for her this weekend. Yes. Um, so anyway, she's now officially a nerd, and I told her I would proclaim that in front of fellow fans. <laughs> Decades of work, and now she's a nerd. She wants to read everything. So. <laughs> well, I hope you'll get her a signed copy. I know the author. Of course, I will. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I just he, he, uh, I'm trying way too much for the autograph. That's fine. That's fine. As long as it makes her happy. <laughs> but you can't charge for autographs. That's not. That's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only what's on it. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, so, so speaking of you. 
I've worked with a lot of, uh, you know, pretty much a lot of, you know, the, the whole writing process. We often think of writing as this very solitary kind of process where you sit there and, you know, work away at the computer and don't really, in, you know, work with anyone else. But writing really is a collaborative process because you end up having to, to work with artists, you end up, you know, you really need the feedback, and sometimes it's sharing the feedback that gets you noticed for other projects. And, and like one of the projects that came about from here at Tuscan was, um, we were talking about you know ways we could help other authors, and one of one of those was the idea of well, could we do some really good cinematic book trailers? And a couple few years ago. Eric encouraged me to write a screenplay, which ended up being the screen, uh, a scene out of my novel, The Astronomer's Crypt. And we ended up actually shooting it as a little four-minute movie. And, I saw that. It was very good. It was excellent. Thank you. And in fact, it was, I, I enjoyed it so much that I, you know, when the second edition of the book came out, I explicitly put that scene back into the book. <laughs> so the first edition doesn't have that, that exact moment, but it's... In there, in the uh, in the actual uh, second edition, which we then put the book into the second edition, but um, but no, it's just the fact that you know, we we get to. Um, I, I love this interplay of being able to play off these things. I mean, it's like the reason I mentioned that scene in particular is that that was that was a give and take between us discussing what would actually film the best out of the book. And, and I ended up sending you like three or four different treatments for what we might do as a screenplay. And it was like, this is the one that really came to life for you. And I think that that gave me some feedback as yeah, that, that would make that a better scene in the book. And Very interesting. I, 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 actually, I don't think you'd actually told me that you put that back, back into, into the new edition. So that's very good. <laughs> and if I remember, gentlemen, in in Revenge of Zoe, is that there's that little scene where you're in the comic book shop, right? And he's playing himself, right? And he but, and David buys it's astronomer's script, yeah. Right? There's all this yeah. mayhem going on on the comic book shop, and there's this courteous customer, and he's just minding his own business, and he's just trying to buy a book, and, and finally he just goes, uh, "Copy the astronomer's script," and and puts the money down and runs out of the shop because it's just so crazy in the shop all the time. So we love doing these self-referential things. And in, in Zoe, I also had a bit part right. where I came and, in and bought my book. And, well. and, and what I like is it's almost a, an upping of it because you don't end up giving any money no, for the book. Pretend it's funny. By the way, Revenge of Zoe, the, the prequel to the film that screens tomorrow is on Tubi TV and on Amazon Prime, so check it out if you can. You can see all that. I have introduced astronomers to that up at Hip Peak. Um, right. So we watched Revenge of Zoe uh, a few weeks ago, right ahead of the day before uh, we had the premiere of uh, What Song for the Cast. So. Oh, awesome. oh, well done. Thanks. Yes. That's fantastic. So people have seen it. <laughs> do you work at Kip Peak? I do work at Kip Peak. My, my, my night job is operating telescopes at Kip Peak now. I Yes. I have to do a private tour, one of the guided tours, and with my mom. It's amazing. So I operate telescopes, and one of my that, that feeds into the books. And this fellow, who looks a little bit like hmm. someone so on the panel, <laughs> is actually a, is a is a telescope operator at Kit Peak, but he, he's a vampire, which I figured was the perfect job for. for Wait a minute! Isn't Kit Peak the location of the solar <laughs> telescope? It used to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a, yes, there is a solar telescope up there that's now owned by the Visitor Center. But uh, the yeah, solar man, people all moved away. Made it. You've officially made it. You're on the you're a cover character on the David Lee Summers novel. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to do the cover. Yeah. <laughs> you got it in. I've got it. And I have a and I have a steampunkish vampire. <laughs> Fantastic. This, uh, this is completely off topic, but it's just popped into my head and I have to tell you this because it just makes me so happy. When I, I love telling people that Meteorite Men aired on all seven continents and you might go, that's no big deal if it gets distribution, but distribution doesn't go to Antarctica. And some, some, one, somebody, some fan knew somebody who was working at McMurdo and they, they, they recorded copies 
of it off broadcast and they sent DVDs to this guy who was working in McMurdo and they used to have it, they would have a film night on Fridays. And so I got this message from McMurdo Station going, we had Meteorite Midnight last night and we, we, we watched a bunch of episodes so you officially aired in Antarctica. And I went, yes! Anybody <laughs> can say they aired on all seven continents because there's no TV network down there. <laughs> So just so things like airing and Kit Peak, it's really yes. it's a big deal yeah, for me. Well, and, and our Antarctic story is that Kumi, of course, does all kinds of handcrafted items and such. And we had an astronomer at New Mexico State University who went down. This is completely off topic of the panel, except that it's how how these connections kind of get made. And he was working on the Python telescope, so he asked her to make a stuffed python. So we have a photo of this python at the South Pole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moments like that are really important. I, I think it brings the, our, our, it almost brings a fantasy world into your real existence. Like, oh, wouldn't it be great to send a plushie to the South Pole? Or wouldn't it be great to have something that you worked on air at McMurdo Station? What could be better than that? And when these things materialize, to me, it's a much bigger deal than, than maybe a, a big event in New York where the old, where media people are, because that's normal. Those things, those things are going to happen regardless. But this is almost as if you've you've helped engineer a cosmic thing to happen, <laughs> and, and those moments really stand out for me. And, and uh, I go, now, now I'm happy. Now, now that we 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 aired underground in Antarctica, that's just so weird. It's like the ball game. Uh, speaking of weird, can I talk about us for a second? Please. <laughs> so uh, a number of years ago, I was helping with publicity for TestCon. And uh, this this guy, Jeff Notkin from the Science Channel, was going to be the guest. And uh, so I uh, ended up talking a lot with his publicist. And I had one condition for all the stuff I was doing. We did lunch. And uh, we had a wonderful lunch together. Completely hit it off. Absolutely clickety, click, click, click on every level. And, uh, well, do you want to tell where we went from there? Yeah, well, so that was, the, I guess, the first year that we met. And then the second year, I came back and I, I helped to arrange for the film director, Susie Corbell, to be a guest. And we did a science right. and science fiction movie-making panel, I think. And Susie had brought some props from this film that she was working on. And I said, oh, gosh, it would be really nice to get a couple of publicity stills while we're here. That was when it, we used to be at the in-suites the Hotel Tucson City Centre that long-time con-goers will remember. So Becca, my publicist, and Susie and I were there and going, oh, how do we organise this? And, and Eric just came over and he goes, can, can I help? Do you, do you need... And they go, well, we just thought it would be nice to do this, maybe to get some publicity stills. And he goes, right, okay, clear this area over there. Okay, you set up, let's get some lights. Uh, quiet, everybody. And he just art-directed the shoot and we got some great photos. And I thought, what a odd and amazing guy he's just really <laughs> on it and in those days he was always dressed like the shadow with his black fedora and his long coat so a, a, a while after the con i i had to go where's the other thing i gave his business card find his business card so i sent him an email and i said i hope this isn't super weird i don't really know you but you seem like a very interesting guy and uh if you ever want to hang out or go into film screening or i don't know just send me a hello and immediately it was quite late at night and immediately I get an email back and it says are you still up can I call <laughs> so he, he rang and he said oh, I'm so glad to hear from you because I was thinking of reaching out and saying a similar thing but I thought it was a bit weird and uh, he said gosh you know I just I was thinking about you because I was working on this post-apocalyptic music video and I thought you would have been really good as one of the monsters and, I go, and he goes but I you know I didn't want to bother you and I go bother me man I would have crawled up there on my tongue to be a post-apocalyptic <laughs> monster in your video so we made a pact that day on the phone that we would never be shy about asking the other one to appear in something that we were doing and and there have been it's been such a long and brilliant collaboration since then so I encourage you we always think like oh, that person's very busy or I don't want to bother them or I don't want to be pushy. Do. And most people in media, entrepreneurs, artists are lonely and spend a lot of time working on their own. And I learned this from my mother. I, I, I've, my whole life I've been a fan of Jenny Agutter, the, the British actor, Railway Children, Eagles Landed, Logan's Run, you all know her. So since I was a kid, 
I grew up on the railway children and, and, and Jenny Agutter grew up in the same town that I did in South London and I always wanted to meet her and I was, I was back in London in the 90s visiting my parents and my mom had a real twinkle in her eye and she goes, oh, your beloved girlfriend Jenny Agutter is appearing at a stage show in London and I got us tickets. So we went to see this, yeah, we went to a matinee, it was really great and then we were getting ready to leave and my mom goes, where are you going? I go, well, it's, it's over. We'll go home. She goes, no, we're not. We're going backstage to meet Jenny. And I go, no, no, I'm too shy. I can't. I don't want to bother her. And she goes, come on, we're going to go. So we, we talk our way backstage. We knock on the backstage door and she opens the door. There was nobody. There were no other fans there. It was just us. And so I met my hero. We had this fantastic exchange, long conversation. And it was very meaningful to me. And my mom said, I want you to remember this, that we always think that people in media and the arts are are busy and involved and they don't have time but but they usually do they often they're often on their own so many times i've done a big show and i've gone home on my own and it would have been really nice to to meet someone so that's a takeaway also that i learned and and have tried to remember that if if you see an opportunity or there's someone you want to meet or someone that you want to collaborate with just try the worst thing that can happen is they'll say get lost weirdo (laughs) (laughs) which rarely happens and your your subject here of uh, meeting somebody who's doing uh, events. Uh, I live, used to live in the Milwaukee area, and they would have Star Trek uh, actors come in and do a, uh, Chicago and then the Milwaukee, and they would just drop them off at the motel and say, "Show up for the, you know at least three hours over here," and then leave them alone. And the local si- uh, Star Trek club would make go out of their way to go to their their hotel and say, "Where do you want to go? What restaurant? You want to go shopping?" Yeah, they, they would make, make sure their their time when they were in, in the city was active, so it wasn't just there. They're there for their four hours of being at this little baby convention. Uh, and they they had the events of being in the whole town. Fantastic, good for you. How many of you are Blake Seven Blake Seven fans? Uh, mm-hmm. Only a very few. Uh, I know you are. Uh, I'll, pro- I'll probably skip that story then because it doesn't really fly if you don't know the show. But yeah, I had a similar. Well, imagine yeah. Doctor Who, but even with a little smaller budget. <laughs> <laughs> and darker. And darker, yeah, much more. Yeah. Yeah. Community theater, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can see the duct tape and the and the pipes are like ventilation pipes from sh- you know dryers, things like. I mean, it's really like you've got to kind of use your imagination to expand on the special on the, but. but but it was created by the, by the great yes. Terry Nation, who invented the Daleks. Yeah. Doctor Who fans will know. And to me, it's uh, it's like an alternate universe Star Trek. The, mm-hmm. the Federation is evil, and yeah, it's it's about a group of convicts who stumble into possession of this super advanced alien spaceship, and then they start waging their private war against the Federation. It's a fantastic show. It is very low budget, and there have been talks of, of remaking it, but. But Paul Darrow, the, the great British actor who passed away recently, was was the star of most of it. You sci-fi fans, if you can find it, I highly recommend it. If you like it's vintage Doctor Who, you are definitely going to like Blake Seven. It's a it's a bit edgier than Doctor Who. Uh, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. I, I, I think what, it's what era? What time? So uh, mid to late seventies would have been about seventy seven to <laughs> seventy nine or seven to eighty. That really, really was, was the four golden seasons. age of science fiction. Four seasons. I think, yeah, fantastic show. Basically just parallel with Tom Baker's Doctor. Yeah, you just have to be a bit patient with the sets, but it's that it's that BBC. They put so much heart into it, like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV show. Yeah, it's a bit cheesy, but it's very charming, and there's a lot of love in that show. And they they did what they could with a small budget, and I mean, using cardboard boxes and vacuum hoses for special effects, and it's I think still that's part of the charm. Though. It is for me. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're way off topic, sorry. But that's my recommendation for you sci-fi people who haven't seen it, Blake Seven. See, see, if, you, see if you can find it. It's, it's quite a show. And who doesn't love Terry Nation? Yeah. I'm going to go a little bit off topic as well. Thank God. <laughs> it makes me look like less okay. of a loony. Because I'm going to pitch. Eric. <coughs> Eric, you were born to play Sava Saravik. Who's Sava Saravik? He is the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, wow. He oh. is a, the original OG Serbian vampire. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay, and I want to write a screenplay. 
uh, and I'm going to rope uh, the master of horror, Jay Smith, into it to help me. Uh, Savas Ivanovic comes to Tucson chasing his victim because Savas Ivanovic <laughs> only comes back every 20 years, but he's they still hang up garlic and they put out notices, hey, this is the year he comes back and you still have the murders going on every 20 years in this little town in Serbia. And um, so he comes to America where his victims are uh, have relocated, okay, to get away from him to one of the sunniest places in the world, okay? And it's, this, <laughs> it's, it's the story of how he gets here and all of the strange uh, little nuances of Serbian vampires. For instance, Serbian vampires uh, wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be uh, repelled by a Catholic cross, only by an Eastern Orthodox cross. Okay, and uh, you don't have to invite them in. They just have to steal your shoes. Okay. <laughs> if they steal your shoes and they put on your shoes, put on your shoes, they can walk inside. It's just, I, I did a real deep dive. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And I did a real deep dive into it. And Savas Ivanovic, the story of him is well known in that area. His fiancée was murdered, and it was blamed on him. And the father of the fiancée insisted on having him hung, even though they didn't know who killed her, and then buried outside of a uh, outside of a holy ground. And so he just keeps coming back over and over mm. and over. I've got most of the plot in my head. Who knows? Can you get Milosevic to visit this town? Milosevic? Well, let's just say you're a pretty dark character. I'm sorry, have I offended? I'm just scared of you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Once you get to know me, uh, once you get to know me, I'm really just imposing. <laughs> I really wanted to see David's book covers, Anyways, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I think that you would be. Uh, it, it's a role that you were born to play, and I think I, I, I've, I've talked to you about some of the scenes, like the scene where he's crawling across the wall like an insect. Yeah, and and if you think about it, this is. An OG vampire that in the in the uh, in the breed that nobody has ever seen in the United States. So you can have someone in the cast who is the expert on horror movies, who knows everything there is to know. And wait a minute, what do you mean? If I pour water on it, a water on him, it won't kill him. Okay. <laughs> You know, well, this, wait a minute, this holy water wasn't blessed by an Eastern Orthodox priest. Oh, thank you. So, it's uh, one of the things that... Uh, so, so, so note, then, uh, you know, there's there's a lot that happens from concept to creation, and, and a, lot, a lot that does or doesn't happen, but who knows, this could be the birth of something right here at this panel. I volunteer to participate in any way. That sounds Fantastic. <laughs> I, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, Will, I, I, was, just, I was just doing a side No, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. I, I appreciate side guys. The, uh, the thing that I really, want to, uh, I really want to focus in on is that vampires do not exist, but they do exist. Okay, so that is why you can't see them in a mirror, because they don't actually exist, but they're too angry to go away. And then what is the psychology behind the anger, and how do you kill something that you can't kill? Because Serbian vampires, you can shoot them, you can burn them, all that stuff. It won't kill them. That's why he keeps coming back. So, and you cosplay furries on the weekends. Hmm? You cosplay furries on the weekends. Don't you? I I would if that I had somebody who's willing to do it with me. So if you want, this is why I have me down here. <laughs> I have a set so of Yoda pajamas. Okay. Wow. A set of Yoda pajamas, and I'll put a tail on it. And as long as you're willing to come along, as, I don't know, uh, Chewbacca. <laughs> Just so you all know, that's Will's. That's one of Will's lines in the movie. Yeah. That you all that place tonight. Yeah. So let, can we can we talk about specific things that have grown out of Tuscan moments? Because we've all we've all had we've all had these experiences. Right. I feel like we should maybe spend a little bit of time on what the panel's meant to be about. Or we can 
take direction from the audience. Tell the Zahn story. The Zahn story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, okay. So, and by the way, uh, Nate Campbell, one of the stars of the Revenge of Joe series. Good time, and we've uh, we have uh, played John and Pete in the three films in that series. One of which is, is currently on release um, for a long time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we had finished Revenge of Zoe. It was done. It was shot. Um, and uh, Tim was a guest at the convention, and he came up and talked to us after our uh, filmmaker panel, which, by the way, we're doing on Sunday. Um, and uh, we chatted for a while, and. And Nate, uh, you know, afterwards, I, I think we were at the, uh, the con suite, and uh, there was Tim again, and Nate said, hey, 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 we should ask Tim to be in our movie. I said, well, it's done, Nate, we can't do it. Come on, we should ask him to do it. Hey, would you have any interest in being in an indie film? Yeah. Okay, let's talk. So we started talking, and anyway, a new scene was written. Um, <laughs> we mobilized our forces, got the cameras and the crew out again. Um, Tim flew back out here, uh, and uh, and actually, re, you know, we sent an initial draft of the script, uh, which Cliff Campbell, brilliant uh, screenwriter, wrote. Uh, sent it to Tim. He said, "Hey, can I make a few suggestions?" So he did some rewrites on it, and I mentioned, "Hey, Cliff, do you mind?" He said, "Tim, I can rewrite my scripts all day long if you want." Uh, and we shot the ending scene, the new ending scene for Revenge of Zoe. Which was what uh, ultimately is on screen now, and you can see it in your viewing player. So, all because Nate was tenacious enough to suggest that we do something that was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> we, filmed, <laughs> we filmed that at my house. Yeah. In, uh, in, uh, I had a, an office addition onto my house, and we turned it into a space that we thought is the kind of space that Tim Zahn would write his Star Wars novels in. So I actually, I had a big Star Trek prop in the background, had a lightsaber out in my rocket ship, coffee mug and all this stuff. And we, we had a, quite a big crew there that day and Tim was really great. But the whole time I'm, I'm sitting there going, Tim Zahn's sitting in my reading chair. Tim Zahn is holding my Tim Zahn is using my rocket ship coffee mug. It was so much fun. And and spoiler alert, uh, he came. He is in the new film yeah. as well, which you will see tonight. All because of you <laughs> and this convention. And even though we abused him and fanboyed him, he still came back and did the next film. <laughs> no, can you, no can he's you do? a really fantastic guy to work with. Well, and that's what we were talking about earlier. I mean, why not ask someone that you admire if they're available and they're interested? If they can't, they'll say no. But it's really surprising how frequently people go, oh, sure, I'd love to do that. Just to, uh, 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 this has nothing to do with um, with, with uh, working with people here at the con. This is way earlier, back in the mid-90s. Um, I was uh, at University of Iowa, okay? And I went there specifically to study journalism and writing. And um, I was in a coffee shop called The Tobacco Bowl. This is one of my favorite stories. Okay, in a coffee shop called the Tobacco Bowl, where they sold individuals imported cigarettes to, to kids who couldn't afford to buy a pack. <laughs> okay, and they served coffee, and uh, and it was the place where all the chess geeks went. And when I say chess geeks, these are the people who went and for a year took a vow of silence so they could do nothing but think about chess. So I'm sitting there, and this girl walks up to me and sits down across from me. She said, "Just pretend like you know." I said, "Okay," and she said. This guy's being creepy and hitting on me, and I, so uh, long story short, she she left after a couple of minutes. And I look over, and here's this guy sitting at the counter. He's got on a tweed jacket with uh, patches on the uh, on the elbows. Okay, and and uh, I say, you know, he doesn't look creepy. He looks like he's just lonely. So I go over and I, I talk to him. I said, "Excuse me, what do you like playing in the chess?" And he looks at me, and it's almost like relief. And he says, "Okay." He sat down. We played chess. And then every Wednesday, we'd play a couple of games of chess for about three months. And we never were even on a first-name basis. I consider him to be my uh, my mentor, okay? But we were never on a first-name basis. He didn't know what, uh, you know, he'd give me uh, random advice. I'd uh, spout off nonsense because that's what college kids do. And um, uh, about a year later, I'm working at Borders Bookstore, uh, uh, distribution center uh, just to make ends meet because 
kid on, uh, we've got a hungry kid that's growing up, and I uh, pick up the book, I go, oh, hey, he's one of my favorite authors. I turn it over, and I sat down really hard, because for three months, I'd been playing chess every Wednesday with Kurt Vonnegut. Okay, so I go home, I go home, and I said, hey, honey, you remember that guy I always used to leave and go play chess with? That was Kurt Vonnegut. And she looks at me, she says, that was Kurt Vonnegut? I said, yeah. She said, you knew Kurt Vonnegut, and you didn't introduce me? That's brilliant. <laughs> well, and I'll just kind of on that same vein, there was a, I, I was up at the observatory one night, and I wake up and I hear, you know, Spock is on the mountain. I'm like, Spock, you know, which, which Spock? <laughs> like a, you know, and it, it's like, and I didn't really get a straight story. And finally, it's like I hear that, I, I finally put it together that apparently Ethan Peck, who plays Spock in Strange New Worlds, had come to the mountain and actually outed himself and said, you know, oh, can wow. I get a tour of the observatory? It's like I'm I'm doing some science thing, you know, down the road. And it turns out, of course, he was talking about Strange New Worlds uh, coming, going to series, but he couldn't say that yet. And he just wanted to hang out with, like, real scientists and see what scientists <laughs> actually do at night, which is, which is fanboy over the fact that Spock is, is sitting here watching us at work. So he came and actually hung out at the Wind Telescope while we were searching for literally strange new worlds uh, up at the observatory. And, and for about half the night, he brought a Polaroid with him and let us, you know, take pictures of him with it, and it was my birthday, which was uh, <laughs> even even more. So I got to you know got to hang out with Ethan Peck for very very cool. And then I then of course I learned that Ethan Peck is uh, the, the last name. He's Gregory Peck's grandson, which I didn't know. Oh wow! So, oh, wow. And Jeff, you uh, used to play in a band with Neil Diamond, is that correct? Yes, mm-hmm. which was my first band. So yeah, Neil, well, Neil and I are lifelong friends. We we met at British school when we were ten, and we were the only two kids who were into science fiction and comics and fantasy and sword and sorcery. And we would sit at the back of class, and he'd write comic books, and I I'd draw them. And you're the one who made this observation, which never occurred to me, which is that I was Neil's first illustrator. We never called in comics, and once. Uh, we were confiscated by the teacher, and I was—I turned our French teacher into this hideous monster with these broken teeth and horns, and uh, that's what we were working on in French class instead of studying French. So he held it up in class and going, "Not in game with you two are useless. You'll never amount to anything." And I—those I, are actual words, and I'd love to—I love to say that to Neil. Remember, you're never going to amount to anything. <laughs> Still very good friends, but yeah, when we were. 15, Neil suggested that we would start a band. It was his idea. He said it would be a good way to meet girls. Took me to my first rock concert. And he, so he was the lead singer for a couple of years. And then after there had been a few brawls, and he was hitting the head with a can, full can of beer, and he goes, This rock and roll's not for me. It's too dangerous. But it was for me. <laughs> so I kept on playing professionally until 2003. So I was. Yeah, but he was a great lead singer and wrote all of the early songs. So I've always hoped he might go back to that song. I know he's not a bit of a song. A great talent and quite a rascal at school. So, Chad, Chad, may I ask, who else have you ended up working with from here? Um, all of you guys, for the most part. Uh, and beyond that, I don't know of anyone else, really. Um, I, I generally, like I said, I do a lot of book covers and things like that, but being here is kind of like post-music, so um, it's a little tough, because now I'm like, man, I, I wish I was still doing some acting and stuff, because, you know, and of course, it's like, well, you know, of course, if I lived here, it would be a lot easier to do more stuff, but I don't, so it's kind of tough, but, um, but yeah, just you guys, and it's been, you know, obviously small, but selective, because... I choose not to do lots of work for lots of other people. No, that's not true. 
I I'm an artist. I'm a whore. So. <laughs> this is not exactly collaboration, but I, I, I think you know this. Yeah, you do know this. But uh, so of course when, I do. See, you see, I told you uh, when we were filming uh, the love song of William H. Shaw here, uh, which now it's been what four years because of the, the pandemic, where we had all these different stalls trying to get the movie done, and our co-director uh, Cliff Campbell, who's flown here from Oklahoma City to be here for this screening. Um, as we were filming this stuff in the uh, the vendor room, he kept seeing this particular poster at this particular booth with this, this, this striking young man standing there at the booth and going, I love that picture. I love that picture. Man, I really like that picture. He just kept saying that over and over again. So, and he said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to buy that sometime before this convention is over. So I went to Chaz and Carol and I made a pact. I said, I'm going to buy this thing. If you see this guy come around, you need to take all of these posters down. Say you're out of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I came by to buy it, and he was all disappointed. And then at the end of the convention, I presented him with the poster. He was yeah. absolutely yeah. way hanging up at his house. All right. <laughs> Thanks for that, because I was like, wait a minute. He's cheating us out of more sales. <laughs> and then he says he's doing a movie. I don't know. It sounds like a line to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, movie maker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then nickel for every time. So they said, "You look great in the movie." Like, yeah, screw you. <laughs> Heard that before. Now, but it turned out to be true. This is good. So now I trust him with my life. Ooh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> but we're looking at uh, just about the yeah, end. Yeah, we're about done. Yeah, we got seven minutes left in the hour. Final thoughts. I, I would just like to say that the the friendships that I made here at Tuscon over, I guess, the last 13 years, have had a really profound impact on my life. And I don't just mean having met nice people, but I'm an indie film producer now. I, I'd only done, I'd only produced <coughs> documentary films before I met Eric, and he, when we, we started to get to know each other. And he said, oh, we're shooting this film called Revenge of Zoe, and it's about the comic book world. And I thought it would be really funny if you would come in, like, <coughs> come into the comic book store and, and buy a copy of your own memoir about my life in the comics industry. I go, sure, that'll be funny. So they invited me to the to the script, to the, to the table read, table read the script yeah. before we started shooting the film. And I said that I'd read the script beforehand, but I hadn't. I only read the <laughs> So we, we got there, we did the read through, and the whole time we're sitting there in these 90 minutes, can't wait for it to be over because I want to run up to Eric and go, this script is fantastic. Can I be part of this film? And so he, I took him aside and go, do you think the, do you think the guys would take on another producer? And he goes, uh, probably. <laughs> uh, let's find out. So, so I joined the crew as a producer just a very short time before we started filming. And then at some point during the film, I said, Hey, you know what we should do really is a kick-ass rock and roll soundtrack for this film. We should have all the original music and the guys are rolling their eyes and they go, well, if you can make it happen. So this has been a great example, a rare example in my life of working with people who really support what I am interested in and don't say to me, oh, that would never work or we can't afford it or we could never get all of those bands. They go, sure. Uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to bands and organize that, please do. So. This has now been about 10 years we've been working together, right? And we, we've produced two films and a lot of incidental things, lots of posters and podcasts and all kinds of different things we've been involved with. And all of this is a major part of my life now. I had the opportunity to be a production designer on feature film, which was first for me. Uh, I've done a lot of art direction, but to, well, I dreamed of this stuff when I was a kid, being a production designer. And so all of these things in my life are directly from Tuscan. I met Eric, he introduced me to, to Marty and Eric, Clint and uh, Nate and Jessica, and all, all the other friends that I've made, David, all of you guys. None of you would be my friends were it not for Tuscan. And I wouldn't be an indie film producer. So thanks very much, Tuscan. a movie without Tuscan. <laughs> yeah, we completely press ganged Jessica into it. She's a costume expert and, and helped us renovate this wonderful vintage costume that we found in, a, in an antique store in Vegas. And, and then and then we said, well, you look so good in a costume. Do you want to have a bit part in the film? And Cliff wrote it. And then she ends up as associate producer, and location scout, assistant art director. 
All you, in indie film, all you have to show is just a modicum of interest that you get press gaming to film. Okay, you're in charge of this whole area. It's a be warrant. It's one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, you're right. Doing all of that. I mean, and the fact that, I've said this before, but I really think it's important. This film, Love Song, has been crucial to my life in ways that I can't even completely verbalize. Very bad things have happened, you know, or sad or very upsetting things have happened, and it always seems to coincide with those those deaths. Something happened from the film that saved me, that rescued me. Like, you know, when we started filming, um, the proper filming, right when COVID hit, my cat of 20 years, 19 years, had passed away like four days before, and we start filming, and that just kept me from falling into despair. You know, there's just every time there's a key moment that something like I lost my job a couple months ago, the same day that our that we did the premiere at the um, screening room. So like, what was I gonna do? Walking out of my office for the very last time, I walked in to see the film and to see all the guys again, and it was just like, I'm coming home. I have people here. This is my family. I mean, I just really feel that way about the people in this film and Tuscan. It's just a part of my heart. That, Absolutely. You know. Same. I would say to everyone here, if if there is a project that you wanted to work on or you wanted a collaborator or just somebody to sit down and have coffee with or throw some ideas around, this is where you find them. It's, it's had the, the greatest influence on my life, way beyond appearing at a fun convention but the relationships that I've built and the opportunities that I've had as a result of Tuscan are just enormous. And I'm very grateful. I never would have imagined that being invited to another thing, another sci-fi con, of which I've been to many, would, would end up, in, in large part, directing the next decade of my life. So thanks, Tuscan, guys. Thank you all for coming, and uh, we hope uh, some of you can make it for the 7 o'clock screening of Love Song with William H. Shaw tonight in the ballroom, and you can see what all this nonsense is about, and uh, yes, indeed, right here, this is the ballroom. And anybody wants to purchase books, I'm going to have a bunch of books sitting at the signing. I gave away all the freebies already. Uh, the books are going for the bargain basement price of where do you want to pay for it? <laughs> what a deal. Well, this guy's a real to... entrepreneur. It's just, uh, uh, strictly speaking, it's because I don't care about the money. I just want to make room in the suitcase so I can get the hatched chilies back to Pennsylvania. Chilies are very important. Critical, critical. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.